everyone, this is China Paradigm, where we, Dashi Consulting, interview seasoned entrepreneurs in China. Hello everyone, I'm Matthew David, the founder of Dashi Consulting and this podcast, China Paradigm, and today I am with another podcaster uh, and uh, the editor-in-chief of TechNode, John Hadman. Um, you have been in China for 12 years now. And uh, you have been with TechNode for uh, more than three years. Um, you will correct me if I'm wrong about the timing, but that's what I got from your LinkedIn. And you are also um, managing two podcasts, at least two. Maybe there is one you have hidden, uh, and I don't know. Uh, but the two are China Tech Talk and China Tech Investor. And uh, I'm I'm a listener of them. I, I think it's a great resource, and I like to talk about those two. Um, two activities you have being editor-in-chief of TechNode and covering China Tech through TechNode, but also through the podcast. So thanks for being with, with, with us today. And my first question is going to be a question you ask to every person. What's your China story? <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's a bit of a long one. Um, so uh, I moved to China in 2008. Uh, previously, I had uh, visited here uh, twice, so once in 2004 and once in uh, 2006 with uh, my university. So I started studying Chinese in uh, 2003 uh, with my uh, we are I went to a small uh, public public university in uh, North Carolina called Appalachian State, and we had a small, very small uh, Chinese Chinese department. But I was very lucky to uh, have a great Chinese teacher who was uh, visiting from Suzhou University. She gave me my my Chinese name and really inspired me to uh, to keep studying. So um, anyway, so yeah, I graduated in uh, two thousand in two thousand and six with a, a degree in psychology and philosophy uh, and a minor in Chinese uh, Chinese language. And then I worked for about uh, nine to nine to ten months at a mental health facility for children, uh, which was very very stressful. Uh, and then in China, no, no, in in the in the U.S. in the U.S. Near, near my university um, and then um, <clears throat> didn't know what I wanted to do just kind of like well I guess I just got to figure something else out uh, so a bunch of my friends had moved to uh, Nashville Tennessee they were artists and musicians and, and, and writers and so I was planning on moving there as well but then uh, before I actually uh, actually moved uh, I had Christmas with um, with my father's side of the family and my uncle used to live in Beijing and he uh, he was like John you know, you could go and mess around with your friends whenever you want, or you can go to China. I mean, you already have the language skills. You can go to China and you can figure and you can ride the wave. And I was like, yeah, that's that. That's a really good idea. So uh, he put me in touch with a uh, an English teaching school, like a private training center for for adults. Uh, I was able to get a job there. Uh, came to China in two thousand and eight, March two thousand eight. Um, and, you know, I had a one-year contract teaching English, and that was, that was basically going to be it. Just kind of come here, teach English for a year, and then um, and probably come back and do something else. Um, but it ended up, you know, I met, I met, my, now, met my now wife. Uh, we dated for a while. Uh, we have uh, two kids now. And um, I ended up working at uh, China Radio International for about five and a half years. Started off doing research and, uh, and guest booking. Uh, then I worked in um, a pre-recorded weekend show, lifestyle, kind of silly 
silly stuff mostly. Uh, but then the last couple of years that I was there, I was very fortunate to help design and and host uh, a program called Roundtable. And if you listen to China Radio International, uh, 91.8 Easy FM is the is the name of the the station uh, in Beijing. It's 91.5. Uh, th- that that show is actually still going. Uh, you know, more than four years after I after I've left, that show is still going. It's a very popular format. Um, but basically, it was a one hour show where we discussed Chinese social issues, and so we used uh, mostly Weibo as well as other kind of public public forums for for inspiration, looking at news and things like that. Uh, and funny enough, you know, Technode both for that show as well for some technology reporting that I was doing uh, was actually a pretty big resource um, for for understanding what 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 was happening. Um, but yeah, so I was there for about five and a half years, kind of got into the reach, the, the bamboo ceiling, as it were, you know, there's not enough, wasn't, wasn't really, I mean, it's, it's a state, state run media. So there's not much room for uh, a foreigner to grow. Uh, and also this was a few years after, um, the present leadership, uh, gained, uh, gained power. And so everything was becoming a bit more, uh, politically correct, uh, if, if you want to think of it that way. Um, and so I worked in localization for a year and a half, uh, uh, mostly servicing uh, Huawei and uh, their translation services centers. So I helped I helped to uh, to build a team of uh, English native. Uh, writers and editors to help uh, Huawei with their technical documentation. Uh, and then I saw uh, that Technode, so this was maybe early 2016, I saw that Technode was looking for a managing editor. You know, I had been out of uh, tech and media for, you know, two two years at that point. Um, and, you know, I was kind of, I was really kind of missing it, you know, being part of a public discussion, having impact, um, you know, helping, helping, helping people understand certain issues, I think was, was really important for me. Uh, and so I applied. Uh, my now boss and, and CEO, Lu Gang, uh, he and I um, had a, had conversations over the next few months trying to feel each other out, get a sense of kind of what we wanted and, 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 and you know, where the, what, what the organization needed. Uh, and so then I joined in uh, November 2016. And then when I joined, we had um, two, there was me and there was two other reporters. Um, and now, you know, fast forward to almost the end of 2019, we're 15 writers and and uh, and editors. Uh, we launched a membership uh, program called Technode Squared in uh, in May earlier this year. We've got about uh, 250 members right now, um, and we're just kind of you know building up momentum and and pushing forward. Really, really focusing on uh, unbiased, factual reporting about technology in China, uh, and then also. Um, offering uh, uh, analysis and insights into uh, what's happening on the ground. How do you organize um, the the editorial line of, of Technode as as, as an editor in, cha- in chief? Um, I feel for uh, tech, uh, there's a lot of hot news, breaking news. So um, I feel it's all the more difficult actually to have an editorial line. So how do you how do you um, combine those two aspects of getting a lot of breaking news, some companies raise money, some changes in technology, and so on, and on the other hand to have a, an editorial line? Yeah. So I mean, I think that. 
I mean, first of all, we have a we have a very strong team of editors. So we have a we have a news editor. Uh, we have a, um, a our senior editor who does a lot of different things, and then we have um, our commentary editor. And so we have um, specific people in in kind of management and editing roles um, to to make sure that things things are getting done in kind of the way that we want them to. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, like on a day to day basis, you know, a, a reporter is one of our reporters is very busy. Um, so they so they're responsible for not only only covering news, but then also making sure that they're they're working on their their feature stories, and then you know we have three different newsletters right now as well. Um, so you know we're we're all we're all quite busy, I would say. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know it's 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 really all about passion. Um, so we're a team of I would say sixty percent local, forty percent uh, international, and um, we're all just very passionate about about what we do. And I think that especially Technode, Technode is a very unique organization where it's uh, it's a media company, but it's a it's more than a media company. Um, and uh, we get a lot of opportunities to talk with uh, executives and um, and people on the ground to really kind of figure out what's going on. And that's and I think that's that's really what it's about. It's about figuring out what's going on and then writing a story to uh, to explain that uh, to 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 our readers. How do you pick the topics? Um, when I listen to your podcast and that's another part we're going to talk about, I felt there are topics coming. Uh, um, from time to time, uh, I mean, um, uh, more recurrent than others, like the, the emergence of ByteDance, for instance, as a third player uh, compared to Tencent and Alibaba. Seems that a topic you 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 um, you, you went into um, uh, deeper uh, than other topics. How do you pick a topic and to to assess this is going to be the topic which is going to become important? With the topic you want to go in depth. How 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 do you do that in a, in a again in an environment where you have so many news which can actually be uh, weak signals and change actually the environment, and on the other hand, you have a lot of noise, and that's a difficulty. Um, so yeah, that's, um, that's a, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, I think that at the end of the day, it's really just about us, you know, because a, a large part of our job is talking with people on the ground, uh, talking with people who work for these companies, talking with people who, um, you know, uh, run their business on these companies' platforms, um, analysts, uh, investors. Uh, and so I think that it's really just kind of about sounding, sounding things out. Um, so getting a sense of, of what's going on, um, and then kind of making some guesses about, uh, what, what we think is, is important. Um, but also, you know, we get a lot of signals as well from our, from our readers uh, as well as from our members. And so we get direct feedback from, from both groups. Uh, but then also, you know, we have a very clear, clear page view metrics. Uh, and so a lot of it, it's like, okay, so this story, um, got a lot of page views. Uh, so this is something that we should follow up on. Um, I think that one good example of that actually is, uh, our coverage of automo, um, automated vehicles and electric vehicles. So, uh, we start Started, we we started reporting on on that uh, sector earlier earlier this year, or, or taking that sector seriously earlier this year, and we just saw a lot of a lot of great feedback. People wanted more. Uh, there was there was a, a lot of uh, demand for more interest uh, or for more. Um, for more content about this industry. Uh, and so we just went, we went whole hog. Uh, so now we have two reporters. Um, so one full-time, one reporter who covers it full-time, one reporter who covers it part-time. Uh, and then we have a, we have a whole newsletter, 
uh, dedicated to that industry. So I think it's it's um, I mean, you know, I, I, I view our content like like uh, like a product manager. So I'm looking at, OK, so who are who are our users? Uh, what what do they what do they need? Um, and then trying to create products to, to fill that need. But our product is, of course, content and different different kinds of content. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I know you have a link with TechCrunch, and I know it certainly has been a, a source of inspiration uh, at, at the other sort of certainly uh, also comparison. Uh, how do you compare with their work? How do you compare with managing um, um, a tech blog, a tech? media now uh, a big one in, in the US and an influential one as well uh, in China how do you compare uh, or compare them uh, how, how different it is and how similar it is yeah so um, so I, I missed I missed part of the the introduction of that question but just to uh, just to clarify um, you know Technode and, and TechCrunch are, are two separate companies um, you know Technode is the exclusive China partner of TechCrunch uh, we've been friends with them since uh, since 20 since 2011 uh, we helped bring the first uh, TechCrunch Disrupt, if I remember correctly, in 2012 to uh, Beijing. Actually, I was working at CRI then, and I and I went, and that was very exciting. Um, and we've been we've been helping them to do uh, TechCrunch uh, events in China ever since then. And we also manage um, uh, TechCrunch.cn, which is Chinese translations of, of their English content. Um, so what's the difference? I think the, the one of the bigger differences is that we're we're a lot less uh, bloggy, I guess, than they are. Um, you know, you have to remember that. Um that both TechCrunch and TechNode have been through uh, a lot of changes o- over the years. You know, um, TechCrunch got started with Michael Arrington back in the early 2000s, and he was, you know, he's just a reg- he's just an investor, a guy in Silicon Valley who says, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of bullshit. Excuse me, if, excuse me, at my 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 bad words, but there's there's a lot of nonsense going on in Silicon Valley, but no one's writing about it. I'm going to write about it, and and Arrington was always very. Um, he never shied away from controversy. And so this is, so doing something like TechCrunch was uh, a good way for him to amplify his own voice as well as agitate for, for change. And so journalism is activism to a, to a certain degree. Um, but then, you know, TechCrunch was uh, was eventually bought by by AOL. Uh, now it's owned by now it's owned by Verizon. Um, and so I think that 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 really kind of what we're seeing is you know different generations of of writers. And so even TechCrunch started off as very bloggy, very personal, a lot of personal opinions. Uh, and now you have a lot of young, very uh, young and uh, intelligent writers. Um, so they're still they still insert some uh, some of their some of their opinion. But at the end of the day, it is in general much more professional uh, than it used to be. Um, and and for TechNode, we we had very similar beginnings as well. You know, uh, Lu Gang started writing. Uh, actually, it was called Moby Node at the time. He was uh, in, in the UK getting his PhD in uh, telecommunications engineering and just started writing just like a personal a personal blog about kind of whatever, uh, a little bit of tech, and then came back to, to China and saw that no one was really writing about technology uh, in China in English. So he started doing that as well, following like the kind of Michael Arrington uh, TechCrunch model. Um, now... When I when I came on board, um, you know, I, I had been out of media for for uh, a little while, and you know, I part of 
part of my onboarding process was kind of taking taking measurement of of the landscape and you know you look at kind of where we are now with media and where we and, and where we were then when both TechCrunch and Technode got started i mean you know when when Technode and TechCrunch got started like the New York Times Bloomberg Reuters they didn't do a good job of of uh having their content on, on the web and and at the end of the day i mean still like people getting content from uh, from the internet was still wasn't quite mainstream um, so I think that like kind of looking at looking at now I mean everyone's online everyone's getting their news uh, from everywhere and so I was kind of looking at that and say okay um Number one, what's our what's our unique advantage? Uh, like, and and how can we how can we stay niche? Um, I think that at at the time, you know, I think that only doing tech in China, I think it was it felt like it was going to be a bit of a challenge. Um, that you know there wasn't going to be that much interest. That it was too niche. Um, but at the same time, you know. When I was working in the radio, uh, Technode was an amazing resource, and so I wanted Technode to uh, to to stay as a as a great resource for people inside of China, outside of China, who really really want to understand the country and, of course, the uh, the, the the technology. Uh, and so these days, you know, we um, you know the way that I see like, the way that I see it, like we we are uh, uh, we're a type of content that's competing with all other types of content. And so uh, it's not just, you know, we're competing with other blogs or other websites who cover tech in China, but we're also competing with Bloomberg and Reuters in the information. Uh, and so since when ever since I joined, my main focus has been on, you know, making sure that we are unique, that we are offering something that you really can't find anywhere else. And if the content is similar, well, the, the format's going to be different, or the um, the level of professionalism, let's say, is going to be is going to be higher. Uh, and so that's really kind of where our, our commitment to neutrality comes in. You know, it's always dis- it's always very disappointing to see media outlets that I. Receive Respect, uh, publishing, let's say exaggerated, um, exaggerated stories about about a tech in China, or maybe uh, too simple stories is is another is another way to put it, and so. What we really strive to do is to stay neutral. You know, uh, we're a Chinese company. I'm an American. Uh, like I said, our team is forty is percent international, sixty percent local. Um, but at the end of the day, we're all committed to China in some way, way, shape, or form. Um, I would say in terms of uh, foreign staff, I mean, the shortest that any of our foreign staff has been here is maybe like four, four or five years. Um, and they, and a lot of, and all of our foreign staff, they've lived in China before they joined TechNode. Um, so we're all very interested in telling the China story, but we're interested in telling it in a balanced way because we recognize that it's a very complex country um the politics the economics the 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 technology landscape is extremely complicated and so uh rather than taking a side or or you know aiming for uh what we call clickbait we we just try to we want to be neutral and just give you the facts and help you understand uh what's what's actually happening um and so we've kind of evolved from from kind of like the bloggy the bloggy style into I would say something that's much more professional. You're 15 people. 
this this requires to finance it. What's your business model now? Um, recently, you, you you have a subscription you started, but uh, what are the different streams of revenues you, you you have now? Yeah, so um, so Techno does a lot more than just than just our English media. So we started off as English media, but um, now we do we do events. So for example, I was just in uh, just in Shenzhen last week uh, for uh, the TechCrunch event uh, down there. We do one of those every single year. Uh, we also do. Asia Hardware Battle, uh, which is, I think, pretty self-explanatory. You know, we we gather start hardware startups from around the Asia region, all the way all the way to uh, to the Middle East. In fact, um, so the Middle East, all the way to uh, Japan, in terms of geography, and then. We, we, we find experts and judges to, uh, to choose, choose the best ones. So we do TechCrunch, uh, Asia Hardware Battle. We do something called China Bong, which is like, a, like an award ceremony, kind of recognizing the best, the best and the best startups and the best innovation, uh, of the year. Um, and then we also have uh, our services teams. So we have two teams focused on uh, financial advisory. Uh, so one one team based in Singapore, which uh, does cross border financial advisory. So helping uh, Indian and uh, Southeast Asian startups um, uh, get in touch with Chinese investors. And then we have a domestic financial advisory service as well uh, that focuses on on something very similar, matchmaking basically uh, within the China market. So. Um, all of this is to say is that the English the English content isn't very well monetized, so we're we're very much supported by the rest the rest of the company and uh, our membership as well as our annual uh, emerge event series is part of that monetization process, and so. Ever since I've joined, I mean, I've, I'm 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 pretty entrepreneurial, and so my my one of my main goals is to make uh, TechNode English uh, self sustainable. Maybe not maybe not profitable, but uh, but at least breaking even. Uh, and so our membership in our in our uh, Emerge event series is is a large uh, part of that. And so right now, you know, you go to our website and you sign up for our our membership. It's a hundred dollars a year. I think you know we give we give you. Uh, three three newsletters, three in depth newsletters. Uh, we give you access to our community as well as uh, access to uh, some of the some of the reports that 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 we produce as well. Uh, that's great value for money, uh, and it's not always going to be a hundred a hundred USD uh, per year. Um, and then with our emerge events, we charge a relatively high ticket price um, compared to a lot of tech events in in China. We are uh, pretty pretty expensive. I mean, still not like super expensive, but uh, but definitely higher than than, than most people are, are used to paying. And that's for a reason because you know for a lot of companies, events are a marketing tool. It's a way to uh, raise awareness and kind of create an offline community. Uh, for us, it's definitely about the offline community. Uh, but you know the the content is the product, and so we 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 charge for that. So for example, in May we did uh, panels on uh, AI ethics in China. We did. Um, uh, looking at China to Southeast Asia, uh, blockchain regulation, corporate innovation, and we had some we had some pretty big names from Walmart, from WePay, um, and it's been a while. My 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 uh, my memory uh, uh, is failing me, but um, 
the thing is, like, again, the, so for the for the content offline, you know, we take it very, very seriously. And we just we just did a side stage uh, at uh, at TechCrunch in Shenzhen. Uh, we did cloud gaming, uh, mass customization, so uh, C C two M, as well as China China India, and we had some really great speakers there as well. And we we give time for the speakers to go in depth. And so a lot of times you'll see panels or or fireside chats for maybe fifteen to twenty minutes. We aim for about uh, 45 minutes for, for each panel. So really kind of going uh, in depth and uh, making sure that we're covering the entire topic rather than just uh, just a small slice of it. You have not mentioned adver- advertising, which is uh, the usual model of monetizing content. Uh, is it because you don't monetize through advertising or is it because it's small and you don't talk about it? Yeah. So, um, so on the one hand, um, you know, compared to TechCrunch, for example, our traffic is is much lower than theirs. I mean, we're very we're very very niche. Um, but but at the same time, we have we have some really amazing SEO. Uh, we get we get some pretty decent engagement on on social media. Um, so our traffic is 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 pretty good. I think for the for our size. Um, that being said, uh, that is one of the big things that we're going to be focusing on uh, going into twenty twenty is uh, increasing traffic. Um, so, so on the one hand, it is, it is a traffic problem. I mean, like we don't, uh, have like, you know, millions and millions of people visiting us every month. Um, but at the same time, it's also, it's also my own, my own kind of, uh, philosophy as well. Like I want, I want the customer to be the end. I want the, 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 the customer to be the end user. So the reader is, is the customer, not, you know, a sponsor, so, or, or, or an ad network. Now, we do do sponsored content. Um, that's something that we've offered for quite a while. Um, in that we do, we do projects with companies on a, on a regular basis. Um, but it's not something that like we really enjoy doing or like, you know, really are, are, are uh, very active in pursuing. Um, my, <laughs> my boss might not like me saying that. Um, but, uh, but at the end of the day, I, I, I don't like advertising. Um, I've always been philosophically opposed to it. I think again, you know, I, the people paying for, a service or a product should be the ones actually using it. And that's why we launched our membership. Um, because this way we have a direct link to our readers and, and to our, to our fans. You know, a hundred USD, it's not a lot of money, but for, but it is, it is a barrier. It's a psychological barrier. And so people who choose to cross that barrier, they're doing it because they want to invest. Uh, they want to invest in the production of news and information that's, that's, that's relevant to them. Um, so actually we do, we do have an ad network, uh, on our, on our website. It's called, uh, but it's, uh, carbon ads. And so it's a very small network. Um, they only have a very select, um, group of advertisers that, that are on there. Uh, and it's not, you're not going to see like random advertisements for, uh, for, you know, Kim Kardashian or, you know, alien babies and things like that on our website. Instead, you'll see advertisements for things that are relevant to you. So for example, you know, discounts on Adobe Creative Suite, uh, discounts on, uh, Slack, uh, memberships and things like that. So, um, we're, we're very happy with carbon. Carbon has been really, really good for us because it's, again, it's very relevant, highly targeted ads, uh, for our specific readership. The other format you have is a podcast. Um, 
I do don't monetize the podcast if I understand because I'm not listening to any, any sponsor of the podcast uh, when I listen to you. Um, could, could you share about um, why you started the podcast and again, what what's the difference? And I know you, 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 you had actually uh, uh, an episode on that. What's the difference between the West and China on podcasting or podcasting from China to the West? Um, I, you, you had an episode where you were mentioning that podcast is very different in China than to the West uh, so because China goes to platforms Himalaya and others which wants to monetize and sell uh, the, the courses uh, whereas in, in, the, in, 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 in the West it's linked to us uh, and uh, it's free. Uh, would you mind sharing a bit of the, of the reasons why you started the podcast and uh, the differences you see with podcasting uh, between uh, the West and China? So, um, yeah, I've been podcasting for a long time. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I did radio, uh, as, as, as I mentioned before. And, um, you know, working, working at a radio station, I think, uh, but also a state state media uh, radio station, you know, there's, there's a lot of kind of creativity left on the table. Uh, so, um, so my friend and I, uh, Charlie Custer, uh, a long time China watcher, uh, I think he might still have his website, chinageeks.com. Um, but he and I, he's an, he's an American as well. He and I got along super, super well. And we, we both like to complain. <laughs> so we started, we started a, a podcast called China punks and it was, just us kind of going through news in China and giving our own kind of young and uh, uh, let's say uh, curmudgeon-y uh, kind of kind of opinions on stuff. Um, we never really promoted it. It never really got huge, but it was a lot of fun to do. And so um, when I joined TechNote, I knew that I wanted to do a podcast. I knew that I wanted to do something in audio uh, because audio and you know conversations are just fun. And I think that for me, at least, uh, I learn through writing. I learn through talking. And so, you know, ideas... Um, you know, things in your head, you have, you have them kind of swirling around, but, you know, it doesn't really kind of come out until you're actually trying to communicate them. And having people ask you questions and getting feedback, I think, is, is extremely important for the creative process. Um, so, so yeah, when I joined TechNode, I knew that I wanted to do a podcast. Um, the talent that we had internally at the time was not quite appropriate for what I wanted to do. Um, so I was just kind of on the lookout for an appropriate co-host. And, and I noticed that uh, Matthew Brennan uh, was very active on WeChat, uh, clearly uh, was an influencer of sorts, um, and also really knew, knew his stuff. And so I reached out to him and I was like, hey, I'm John, just joined TechNode. Do you want to do a podcast? And um, funny enough, we didn't actually meet face-to-face and probably until about six months, maybe even longer than that, uh, of, of doing the podcast. And, um, you know, I originally pitched him to do a podcast only about WeChat. And so uh, every week we would do a podcast about what's happening uh, with WeChat. And, and, and funny enough, he was like, no, I don't really want to do that. I don't really want to only focus on, on WeChat. Um, <clears throat> so it's, it's, it's evolved, really. So we do some WeChat every once in a while, uh, but we do we're, we're actually very broad uh, when it comes to the topics that 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 we cover. Um, so, for example, recently we looked at the social credit system. Uh, before that was uh, private traffic. We've done um, 
asymmetries between uh, U.S. and China in, in AI. Uh, we've covered blockchain quite extensively, although not not recently. Um, and I mean, basically anything that 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 we find uh, to to be interesting. Um, and so, and then uh, China Tech Investors, that's uh, a friend of mine, Elliot Zagman, who also is a contributor. Uh, he he uh, is friends with James Hull, and uh, they ju- were just having some really great conversations. And so, Elliot is kind of a, uh, is a writer, and he also does some, uh, some consulting. And then James is a professional investor. He used to work for... Um, I'm, pr- I'm probably going to get this wrong. He used to work for uh, a state-run investment company. And now, now he does. Now he works for himself, managing, managing money for for other clients. Um, and so, you know, Elliot at one point pitched me, "Hey, let's do a podcast." James and I are having these great conversations. I want to make this uh, a recording, and um, and so we did. And actually, just the other day, it was their one year anniversary. So they they've been going for about one year. Matt and I, it's about two and a half years now, I think. Um, but your other question was. Um, you know what's the difference between podcasting in 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 the West and and in China? Well, the biggest difference is that podcasting in China isn't really podcasting, um, or at least the way that 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 we think about it. And so, like podcasting in in the West is very similar to talk radio, where you have you know one person talking for a long time. Like Dan Carlin is a great example, hardcore history or or common sense. It's just one guy talking for like hours at a time. Um, or you have, um, you know, podcasts like, like, like this one or the one that Matt and I do, which are, you know, uh, one-on-one interviews or, um, or, you know, th- a three-person kind of conversation, um, about a topic. Whereas, um, podcasting in China is, mo- it's just, it, the a better way to think about it is actually it's just audio content. Um, and so you take a lot of the content that's kind of popular, um, in other formats and you just, it's only audio. So it could be storytelling. Uh, it could be, um, it could be some cases discussions. Um, and in some cases, but in most cases it's actually educational. Um, so people will pay money to basically take an audio course or to gain access to an audio book or, or something like that. Um, it's, it's, it's much less to do with talk radio. I mean, again, there is, there are, uh, some shows that are quite popular that are very similar to talk radio, but the bulk of the content that you find on platforms like Leisure and, and Shimalaya are, um, are in fact, you know, more educational or, or storybooks or, or things like that. And a lot of the audio content produced by Chinese people, you're not going to find on the open web. So you're not going to find it on Spotify. You're not going to find it on, on Apple, Apple podcasts, uh, because, you can't monetize on on Apple Podcasts or or Spotify. I mean, you can have an advertiser, um, but advertising in the podcast space is is quite difficult. Um, and for advertisers, the the metrics are still very um, very uh, gray. I guess you could say. I mean, because the there's really no there's really no good platform that can give you a hundred percent saying, okay, this is how many people actually listened. 
This is how this is how much they actually listen. This is how many people were actually exposed to your message. So uh, in general, that kind of stuff is is very difficult on kind of the open podcasting. Whereas in China, you know, users will pay directly for for the content, whether it's you know a hundred dollars, a hundred RMB for a course, whether it's like one RMB per audio file or or something like that, and so. It's actually a lot easier to monetize and to kind of make a business off of Simalaya and and uh, Lujer. That being said, um, we uh, we interviewed uh, Rio uh, Rio Jan, um, who is a VC based early stage VC based in uh, based in Shenzhen, a couple of months ago, and he does three podcasts, um, and all three of those are are uh, on. Uh, Apple Podcasts and and Spotify, all in Chinese, which is interesting. I don't think he's making that much money from it. Uh, and but then there is another podcast. Um, a friend, a friend of mine, runs a podcast called BB Park. Uh, it's all in Chinese. It's all for uh, for for Chinese listeners. It's available on the open web. But they monetize in a, in a kind of a kind of a KOL. Uh, a KOL method where they, um, they, they actually engage in e-commerce. Uh, they have, uh, meetups that they're able to monetize on and they have other, a few other things that, uh, that they do as well, uh, to monetize. But it, they're, they're very unique because they've been podcasting since. I mean, 2011, 2012, I think. And so really kind of first mover advantage, been around for a long time. Um, and it's very, uh, very, um, very talk radio-ish, I would say. And so, you know, a lot of younger people who kind of grew up listening to radio, they they enjoy listening to it. And it's young people who host it. And so they have a lot of uh, really interesting personality. They're able to uh, connect directly with with their listeners and create that community. Um, but they're, like, like I said, it's very unique what, what, what they're doing. Um, whereas uh, in most cases, if you want to monetize, it has to be on Shimalaya and uh, Leisure. That's the thing, actually, in China, I feel that I don't know if you feel the same, but um, the, the words are similar. We we use the word blog in China and in the West. We use the word podcast in the West and in China. But actually, the, the, the real product at the end of the day is very different. Let's say blog, for instance. I had a very hard time to explain to a Chinese CEO of a big firm uh, that we're getting a lot of traction for on blog at Asia Consulting, and he was saying yeah, microblog, I mean Weibo or Twitter, right? And he was not thinking about the long content, a long piece of article where we were going in depth. He, it was not in the mindset and the ICP regulation to get to the compulsory ICP you need to get to have your own website has certainly slowed down or even killed uh, this um, um, appetite for a very long article with your own platform and now you go on uh, you, you go on platforms you don't you have you, you don't have your own website in China that's the same I, I believe for podcasting I'd like to talk about censorship um, you are in a country where Basically, there is a censorship uh, when you publish uh, content, and you are publishing for the West. So, in some way, you are a bit outside of the radar uh, because you publish in English. But on the other hand, you are in China. Have you? Is it a concern for you? Is it a concern to comply with uh, censorship regulations in China? Well, it's it's this is this is funny because I actually I just learned learned a new a new metaphor for something like this. Um, uh, China Tech Investor did an interview uh, about blockchain, and I think that the interviewee Matthew Graham he made a, a really interesting metaphor. Basically, uh, the anaconda in the chandelier, where you know there's an anaconda in the chandelier, and it's not really doing much, but you know. 
you're in a room full of other people and you don't want to be the loudest person, right? You don't want to be the one to draw, draw a lot of attention to yourself uh, because you never know when the anaconda uh, might strike choosing you because you're so obvious. So I think that's, that's actually a really interesting way of kind of thinking about it. Um, I mean, in general, we don't touch on sensitive issues, uh, in part because sensitive issues are actually outside of our editorial purview. You know, we focus on technology in China. We focus on um, telling people what's happening with Chinese companies. And certainly, we do ruffle the feathers of the companies themselves. Um, there's been many conversations with companies uh, of various types about our coverage of them um, because that's journalism, right? We, we, we tell the truth as, as we see it or as best as we can about what's happening uh, inside these companies and, you know, why they're making certain, certain decisions um, and, you know, what, what their prospects are and, and so on and so on. So, we definitely get a lot of pushback from the companies themselves. Uh, but I think, I think to your point, I mean, you know, we, we are China based. Uh, we are in English. So we are, I think, to, to a certain degree under the radar. Um, but at the same time, like we don't touch on sensitive issues. So, um, you know, I've, I've been, I worked at state media for about five years or so. And so I think my kind of, uh, sixth sense, if you will, is pretty well developed when it comes to this kind of stuff. So we basically stay away from all that stuff. Um, and I think at the end of the day, it's not, um, it's not to our detriment either. You know, because again, we, we, we just want to, we just want to understand what's happening, why it's happening. So we just, we just want to, we just want to tell people the way it is. Um, and I do think that, I mean, there are, there are some times, like, especially like with my weekly column that I write when, um, when I do have a bit more freedom to kind of go in depth and, and have my opinion, there are some times I think where it does get a bit, um, it does. It does kind of come close to some line, but at this. But at the end of the day, you know, it's um, it's still factual. You know, I'm not. I'm not here to to smear China. I'm not here to create, um, you know, fear mongering or anything like that. Uh, at the end, of, at the end of the day, you know, it's 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 how can we best explain China to 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 Westerners? And I think that there is there actually is a middle ground to all of this. You know, a lot of people in the West they they want to see China as as a boogeyman, um, as you know, an enemy. But I don't I don't think that China is. Um, and I think that if you want to understand the world, you have to take a dispassionate point of view. And that's certainly what, 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 uh, what we try to do. So a uh, short answer to your question is that we cover tech. Tech is pretty neutral in general. And then, and then when it does come to sens- potentially sensitive issues, we try our best to, to avoid those. I'd like to, 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 to know a bit more about numbers, about um, how many metrics about uh, tech node and, 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 um, um, and, and your podcast. Would you mind to share a little bit of um, the audience you have? Uh, who, is li- who is reading you? Who is listening you to you? Uh, which countries? Uh, how many people, if you can share some? Yeah, so, um, I mean, so in 2018, we had about uh, four, four, million, uh, 4 million visitors um, to, our, to our website. Uh, 20, 2019 is going to be more than that. Um, when it comes to our, our podcast, we get about 7,000 to 8,000 downloads uh, per, per episode for the, China, for the China Tech Talk. China Tech Investor is much more niche, and so we get, we get a little bit less than that. Um, but then in terms of audience, uh, the largest group of people that consume our content is um, 
from the United States. So consistent, consistently, we see the largest group is from the U.S. Um, and then the second largest group is, is from, uh, mainland China, actually. Uh, but looking at kind of our, our, our analytics backend, we can see that most of the people coming from China are actually, uh, English speakers. So maybe they're European, maybe they're uh, from the UK or from uh, some other English speaking country. And so we don't. So when I say mainland China, I don't mean Chinese readers. Um, most of them are going to be English speakers. Um, and then I, I would say, you know, so number one is US. Number two is mainland China. Three and four uh, are Singapore and uh, Hong Kong. Uh, those those kind of switch switch positions, and then number five is India. So uh, we're very we're very international in terms of our audience, but at the same time, the largest by far. I mean, on our website, for example, um, around thirty percent of our traffic comes from the United States, and that's the largest of of any other demographic. Uh, and so, definitely, we can see that there's a huge amount of interest in in China tech uh, from from specifically the United States. Uh, but then, at the same time, there's also we get some pretty decent numbers from uh, elsewhere ar- around the world, mostly mostly in in this this region. For the coming and last ten minutes, uh, ten fifteen minutes, I'd like to have your view on some topics uh, which are. Um, coming over and over in, 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 in China about tech. First one is, from your opinion, why do so many foreign Western companies, tech companies, are failing? Uh, the one which I feel uh, as, uh, in China, the one, it's, a big, it's a big subject. It could be one hour talk, I believe. Uh, but I feel like <laughs> you have your opinion already on it and some, some ideas. Microsoft have been successful, but it seems to be mm-hmm. a, a bit of an exception uh, when mm-hmm. you look at uh, Uber failed, uh, Google for some reasons fa- failed in some way, uh, even if they do export advertising, they are selling ads for those Chinese companies, but they don't, they are not operating anymore in China. Uh, so you, you see a lot of, of, of those players failing in China, uh, but there are different reasons. One is much more political uh, and, and licensed with Google. One is purely business uh, for Uber. So what's, mm. your, what's your take on that? Well, I think, I think that, first of all, the China market is extremely difficult. Um, I think that even f- even you talk to domestic entrepreneurs and they'll say the China market is extremely difficult. Uh, it's highly competitive um, and you have to... You have to move fast, extremely fast. Uh, if you, if you've thought about it for more than a day, you're probably moving too slowly. Um, and I think, so, so I think that, so yeah, it's part of it's domestic, but also for foreign companies, um, there's, there's a lot of issues around localization. And so there's localization of the product and there's localization of the team. Um, so for example, I think Groupon is actually a really interesting example. So I'm not sure if you remember, Groupon came in around 2010, 2011, I think. And, um, all of their, like, their, their top China management were American. You know, so they can't, they, so they, they flew Americans in and then tried to figure it out. And, and, you know, it's one of those things where the working culture is so different in China than it is in the West. So, uh, the way that I think about it is that, um, China kind of lacks, uh, professional culture. And, 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 and I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I don't mean that, you know, that it's, that it, there's something wrong with it necessarily, but, Chinese people don't think of their jobs in kind of a professional way, right? Uh, whereas I think that at least in America, my my parents kind of trained me to think this way. Uh, my early bosses really kind of trained me to think this way of, you know, being conscientious, uh, scheduling everything, um, 
you know, making sure that everything is delivered on time, that, that, that quality issues are, are, um, that issues are raised before, before delivery and, and things like that. Whereas in China, it's just, it's, 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 there's a very different relationship between, uh, between manager and, and employee. Uh, the manager is kind of expected to be very hands on, um, to kind of tell, uh, tell the employee exactly what to do and give to, and to give very extremely specific feedback. Um, and so I think that as a manager, as a Western manager, for me, that's, that's been, uh, a bit difficult. Uh, but if you're, you know, uh, a Western tech company trying to come into the market and, and you don't, you don't find managers who know how to manage Chinese people. You're, you're never going to get off the ground. Um, so yeah, it's the market. It's, it's, it's company culture. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I mean, localization of the product as well. Localization of the product, localization of, of the, the marketing and advertising. Um, you know, I think that if you look at, um, Kind of the, the consumption landscape of China. Um, people like, people like games. They love discounts and they love their celebrities. Uh, and so these days, of course, it's moving a lot more to kind of online celebrities. Uh, but, but also it used to be a lot of, um, kind of traditional celebrities. J. Joe, for example, Wang Li Hong and so on and so on. And so I think that, um, there's, there's a, there's a whole suite of, suite of different things. But then also, it's also government policy where it's, it's, it's has been, I mean, I think they're trying to make it easier, actually, in the past couple of years with, with it's easier to get, you know, a wholly foreign owned enterprise license. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's still, you have to know the right people. You have to know the right people to get the license. You have to know the right people to help you open markets. Um, so. You know, finding finding the right managers, finding the right partners, finding the right team on the ground, I think, is all kind of what makes it so difficult. You already answered partly uh, to to the question I'm going to ask, which which is what are the, the common misconceptions about tech in China? Uh, but from more from an observer point of view, uh, what when you talk to um, uh, people from overseas and we are following tech actually uh, in the West and in China, what do you feel are the main misconceptions about what's happening in China in the tech industry? Uh, do you feel? Do you find some pattern? I'm feel. I'm sure there are many. Uh, one of them being podcasting. It's the same word, but it's different in terms of practice. Blogging is the same word, but it's very different way of, of doing it. But generally speaking, have you found uh, some patterns? It's misconceptions on how to analyze the tech scene in China? Yeah, I mean, I think that probably the biggest one has, um, you know, it was related to the to a podcast episode that we did recently on the social credit system. Um, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that uh, the government wants to be involved in everyone's life. Um, I think that historically, you know, if we look back to the founding of the People's Republic of China uh, and kind of the evolution of the, the communist system here, uh, I think that, that the government used to want to be very involved. Uh, but the success of kind of, you know, this state-led capitalism system that, that, that we see now has been, in fact, a part of that story has been the story of the government slowly kind of receding from, from everyone's personal life. Um, I mean, it used to be that, 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 you know, the people that you worked with is the people that you married, the people that you, that you lived with, and everything was very, very controlled on kind of a, a Don Wei or, or business unit basis. These days that doesn't happen anymore. Um, and so, 
if we take a look at the social credit system, for example, number one, that system was actually is actually more designed for private companies or or companies. Um, State owned and state owned and and uh, and 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 non state owned, um, and then you know over the last few years there has been some more exploration of applying it to to individuals, but a lot of it is still applying it to individuals in the context of you know business malpractice uh, of not repaying your debts of not replying or or complying with court orders uh, and 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 things related to you know business malpractice so did your company kill people <laughs> you know because they created a bad because you created a, a low quality product well your social credit score is going to be affected um so no i mean like the the government doesn't want to uh, be involved in your life um it 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 it, it, I think that we were, we are going to see probably more uh, tracking of behavior, more analysis of behavior, but I think it's going to be very similar to tech companies where at the end of the day, the government is much more interested in aggregate behavior. So are people following traffic laws? Uh, how are we enforcing those traffic laws? Are people uh, following commercial laws? How are we enforcing those commercial laws? Uh, and so it has much less to do with like, you know, uh, today, 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 this person bought oatmeal. And it's like, why, why does, why does the government care about that? They, 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 they really don't. Uh, a lot, it's much more about um, kind of broader social management questions as well as broader economic management questions, which I think, for for a Westerner, for an American, you know, who's raised to be very individualistic and to um, to treasure freedom of speech and freedom of behavior, whatever that means, uh, it's 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 very difficult to kind of wrap your head around uh, and to ultimately accept. I I'm not sure I'm comfortable with it. You know, I can kind of explain it a little bit as I did before, but it still feels weird. Um, but just because it feels weird to me doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad. It doesn't mean that um, it's it's 1984 Orwellian. Um, I think that I mean any technology is open to abuse. Um, but at the same time, what China is trying to do with a lot of their tech. Tech, technological kind of governance systems um, is really to, trying to solve age-old problems. You know, there's a phrase in Chinese, uh, the mountain is high and the emperor is is far away. Uh, China has historically had amazing amounts of problems enforcing uh, central government uh, policies. And so this is, and even on a provincial level. Um, and so this is, this is just kind of one, one way to leverage technology to actually implement uh, real kind of enforcement mechanisms and actually to create more trust in, in society as well as trust of, you know, trust between individuals, trust between a customer and a company, but then also trust in, in the government that the government is actually going to be enforcing uh, laws and uh, regulations. True, social credit, I think, is, is, a, is a, the example of misconception from the West and in China and mm-hmm. um, per- portraying it as something very new, uh, very Orwellian, uh, and it's not that new, actually, uh, to get a credit, uh, companies and individuals. But yeah, that's, that's, that's very true. Mm-hmm. My last question is about 
actually your industry and yourself toward your your peers how do you stay up to date about china how do you stay up to date about the news uh you mentioned weibo uh as a source of inspiration for roundtable i think it was when you mentioned when mentioning mm -hmm. roundtable um but now what what are the best sources you would you would recommend to use of course techno and your podcast but uh, beyond that uh what, what would you suggest to to use to be up to date on china Well, I mean, I would say in English, um, in English language, there's two, there's two main resources. Uh, one is, uh, Sinicism by Bill Bishop. Uh, so Bill Bishop, uh, has been a China watcher for many, many years, used to live in Beijing. And so he does, he does a daily newsletter. It's basically, Uh, he aggregates and curates uh, news stories about China. Um, and and that's, that's one of the main ones that I read. And then um, there's another one called Sup China. Sup China is much more focused on culture, uh, whereas Bill Bishop is much more focused on kind of politics and, and, and business, I would say. Sub China is very focused on culture, but both are very, very good resources for keeping up to date. You know, you spend 15, 20 minutes reading, reading these newsletters every morning, and you'll pretty much know kind of what are the big trends, what's, what are the big discussions going on, uh, and things like that. Um, in Chinese, I would say there's a few resources when it comes to tech. Uh, one is, uh, I kind of hate saying it because they're also kind of our, our competitor, but, um, but well, there is, we actually, we, we have a, a Chinese, a Chinese version of our website. So cn.techno.com. So that's obviously a resource. Okay. But then apart from that, there's a 36kr. So 336kr.com. So that's, uh, technology media. Uh, Ping West is also one. Um, Uh, so in Chinese it's Pinwan, um, but their website is Ping West, P-I-N-G-W-E-S-T. Um, and those, those are really kind of my, my main sources of, uh, when it comes to like tech news in Chinese. Uh, Hu Xiao is a good one for kind of longer form, um, essays on, uh, and it's usually not just tech, but it's also business. Um, And then, of course, there's Tencent Tech, Sinatech, and kind of like the, uh, the the news aggregators where they have huge teams, but they don't they don't actually do much original reporting. Um, so I would say that those 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 are those are my main sources of information about China. Thanks, thanks very much for your time, John, uh, for sharing. It was very very instructive. Uh, hope you enjoyed it, and hope everyone enjoyed. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for participating. <laughs>